Welcome to Breaking Paradigms, a podcast where we talk about global perspectives on spatial planning in practice and theory, by Constance Frech and Sarah Kushi. The Earth is 4.6 billion years old. Scaling to 46 years, humans have been here four hours. The Industrial Revolution began one minute ago, and in that time we have destroyed more than half the world's forests. Greenpeace. In recent discourse, we often hear the phrases on a dying planet or on a broken planet. However, the reality is that the planet will continue while humans create their own extinction. Naomi Klein frames it this way. Our economy is at war with many forms of life on Earth, including human life. In this episode, we want to talk about urbanism in the times of climate change, an approach to the challenges urban spaces face nowadays. Climate change is becoming more and more visible and noticeable. Groups like Fridays for Future, Extinction Rebellion, as well as individuals like Greta Thunberg or Arnold Schwarzenegger are mobilizing thousands of people, both as activists but also in the political sphere. The UN will host a climate summit in New York from the 21st until the 23rd of September 2019, and UN Habitat addresses climate change in the new urban agenda, which was published after the Habitat 3 conference. They write, By 2050, the world's urban population is expected to nearly double, making urbanization one of the 21st century's most transformative trends. Populations, economic activities, social and cultural interactions, as well as environmental and humanitarian impacts, are increasingly concentrated in cities. And this poses massive sustainability challenges in terms of housing, infrastructure, basic services, food security, health, education, decent jobs, safety and natural resources, among others. Often, in discussions about climate change and how it can be affected, reverted or slowed down, we talk about personal choices and political intervention. The built space, however, is often seen as a given and not a questioned entity. In the trailer for an exhibition at the Architectural Center in Vienna on critical care, Elke Krasny, a curator for the exhibition, quotes Peggy Diemer. The history of architecture is the history of capitalism and further explains that architecture and urbanism are therefore intrinsically connected with the sources of climate change. She elaborates by saying, similarly to Stephen Goldsmith in our first episode, that planners are caretakers of people in the sense that they shape the living conditions for everyone. Stephen Goldsmith even proposed that planners should actually take a vow of doing no harm, similarly to doctors. In times of rapid urbanization around the world, we should question 
how we build our cities, not just in sustainable or resilient ways, but in a way that actively tackles pollution, CO2 emissions, etc., and offers a way forward. First, we will look at the issues at hand, diving into them one protected resource at a time. Afterwards, we are discussing some solutions and ask you to comment your own experiences. In most common literature, there are seven categories of protected resources or goods. Fauna and flora, air and climate, soil, water, landscape, material goods and cultural heritage, and humans. As a beginning, we want to give you some insight and definitions on those to reach a common understanding. Fauna and flora. Simply spoken, fauna and flora are the animals and the plants on our planet. As we want to focus on the urban context, we focus on animals and plants and their role in the city's ecosystem. More and more animals come to the cities as a result of human activity. The reasons are various. Destruction of their natural habitat, better survival chances due to warmer temperatures and food resources. However, one should keep in mind that cities are not their natural habitat and even though they can find livable conditions, it's not appropriate to their nature. Usually the destruction is caused by human influence through deforestation, claiming additional settlement areas or pollution, to name a few. Many animals also relocate to other climate conditions on a bigger scale, which can cause additional ecological problems. The biggest harm on our planet's flora is man-made deconstruction of natural environments. These include increasing impervious surfaces, extensive agricultural use, forest fires, change of temperature and seasons. Additionally, plants which are used in cities for parks or other recreational areas need to have characteristics which make them suitable for the new environment, which doesn't necessarily match with indigenous plant life. The city also creates an extreme environment, which can mean hotter and drier summers, heat islands, lack of appropriate space and conditions, which are more focused on human wishes, like reducing staining or soiling through plant seeds, etc. Air and climate. Due to the increasing impervious surfaces, especially in cities, the so-called heat island effect appears. Due to the increased temperatures, the vegetation periods of the plants change. The warmer it is, the sooner the plants start to bloom. The foliage starts earlier and the decay happens later than usual. Heat and dryness afflict trees and plants, which keeps the plant's growth slow. Similarly to animals, new plant species become native. Due to higher temperatures, plants from warmer regions thrive and spread quickly and thus expel native species. Mainly concrete and glass buildings cause larger surfaces for solar radiation. With the same surface area, a multitude of heat is absorbed. The physical properties of dense buildings cause increasing heat. Also, on impervious surfaces, rainwaters flood into drainage and sewage systems. Therefore, the potential 
evaporative cooling does not apply. And finally, also fine particle pollution is a growing issue affecting the air. Here the affected are especially babies, elderly and people suffering respiratory diseases. Soil As already said, impervious surfaces have a strong influence on the microclimate, but of course also on the soil. Microorganisms, insects and small animals have to give way. Strong differences of weather conditions influence the condition of the soil. Long dry periods cause extreme dryness. If then strong rainfalls happen, soil is not able to absorb it. Flooding and erosion happen. Contamination by the chemical industry, extensive fertilization of agriculture, etc., unfortunately still happen and destroy soil as habitat and base of food growing. Water. If soil is contaminated, it normally doesn't take long until it reaches groundwater or also surface water. This is a risk for drinking water reservoirs and connects with the waste management for agriculture and industry. But also water use. Especially in Central Europe, drinking water with a very high quality is often used for domestic purposes, such as showering, flushing the toilet, watering plants or cleaning cars. Drinking water is sadly on the way to become one of the most rare and precious resources. Landscape Most people think that cities and settlements are human and landscapes are natural. But actually, all landscapes around us are usually somehow man-made and therefore cultural landscapes. Humans have been cultivating their surroundings for millions of years, mostly through growing food, but also through extraction of natural resources. So real untouched areas became rare. Besides the risk of extensive use of landscape, such as contaminating soil, monocultures, wind erosion, etc., one kind of landscape is mostly endangered by climate change. Glaciers. This year, Iceland declared the first glacier as melted. But not only natural resources count as protected goods. Material goods and cultural heritage. Places of monumental protection, buildings, cityscapes and landscapes are more and more exposed to natural disasters like flooding, heat periods and storms. This is strongly connected to humans, which are the final protected good. We have to be aware that climate change mainly harms ourselves, the human species. Solutions Being faced with all these challenges and problems can seem fairly overwhelming. However, there are a lot of different approaches from a grassroots level. The exhibition at the Architectural Center in Vienna showcased many examples. What all these examples seem to have in common are certain elements which at their core follow different environmental strategies towards a more sustainable future. We will not talk about specific best practice examples. We want to look at the bigger picture, different aspects which spatial planning projects can include for a more sustainable outlook. One big trend is greening. Greening by our definition simply means planting trees, shrubs or other vegetation in spaces which previously or traditionally don't have plant vegetation. 
This doesn't include spontaneous growths or interventions like seed bombing, but plant vegetation in any form. Green rails, rooftops, courtyards or even urban gardening or farming initiatives if they are implemented on spaces which were previously not assigned green spaces. The advantages of greening include reduction of CO2, more perspiration surfaces which create cooler microclimates and depending on the design it might add more permeable surfaces, help filter water, reduce erosion and desertification. A secondary effect is achieved as a habitat for species both flora and fauna. Using local and renewable materials. As mentioned in the last episode about learning from the South, local materials can play a vital role in mitigating costs, especially environmental costs. In addition to shorter transportation, it can also help with creating adequate architecture for the local climate conditions, especially through adapting vernacular building methods, which additionally supports cultural heritage and innovation. This brings us right to our next solution. Adapted and adaptable architecture. Climate change brings heat and extreme weather phenomena. Adaptable architecture, which can deal with these conditions, but also mitigate influences through appropriate building materials, as mentioned before, but also through their design. For example, creating shaded public spaces or including spaces with multi-purposes as retention pools, wind barriers, etc. Land reclamation Usually we hear the term related to claiming land which used to be part of the sea. But in this case, we mean reclaiming built-up areas either a space for new development rather than to destroy further habitat, or reclaim land for nature, renaturalizing everything from industrial zones to riverbeds. Prioritization of living conditions over economic output. It seems that especially those already living in precarious conditions are often most affected by climate-related hazards. In addition, Political efforts usually prioritize economic opportunities over sustainably balanced ones. Architecture and urbanization can play an essential role in creating a livable environment, which can also support livelihood strategies. Effect can be created through different inputs like efficient grids, affordable housing, zoning and mobility. Especially public transportation has a big effect both in terms of ecological impact compared to individual motorization and in terms of economic empowerment of communities. Structural and political framework. One of the things that inform urban planning and architecture significantly are the norms and frameworks they operate within. One of the most common protections currently comes in the form of habitat preservation, like national parks and other similar protected areas. However, when planning for a sustainable future, we need to use and further develop holistic tools and methods for measuring the potential impact of projects. This means anticipating and internalizing not just economic costs, but social and environmental costs as well. 
Currently, these methods are already in use, but many still weigh the economic aspects higher than the other related costs. To wrap things up, localized solutions are important tools to start pushing for climate justice. They are very visible and can give great input. But when we look towards architecture and planning, we need to go further and look at the bigger picture and create more connections. Making sustainable projects not just flagships or special cases, but the norm and the usual. The built environment is very immobile. And so we need to be extra vigilant about making long-term sustainable choices in design, construction and their interplay. It also means that we can't be fine with making small adaptations which only conceal the worst, but real long-term solutions which move us towards turning things around. We also need to see architecture as part of a system, its interconnection with capital and the responsibility of the few who have an opportunity to make choices and the many who don't dare to question the status quo. Write us a comment about your views on the connection between climate justice, architecture and urbanism. We're waiting for you. This was Breaking Paradise by Constance Frech and Sarah Couchet. Be part of the conversation. Connect with us on Facebook, YouTube and at breakingparadigms.org. Special thanks to our supporters on Patreon. Thomas Fischer. If you like what we do, consider supporting us and join our Patreon community. Content and editing by Constance Frech and Sarah Couchet. Sound design by Didac Barroso and Florian Frech.